Hey guys, and welcome to a new episode. This is your host, Muhammad Halaiba. Today we begin our next series talking about mammography and focusing on the halgeal topics. As usual, our goal is not to cover every single detail, but rather focus on the most important details for both life and the board exam. What is the management for a biopsy demonstrating atypical ductal hyperplasia, ADH? This is a common scenario both in exams as well as in clinic. Obviously, the key thing to know is when we biopsy, we're only sampling a small area of tissue, which means we don't know if all the tissue is going to be represented by the biopsy. Additionally, we know that there is about 20% upstage or upgrade from ADH into IDC or DCIS. Similar scenario if the biopsy does not show ADH or atypical ductal hyperplasia, but rather shows an earlier state of tumorogenesis, which is flat epithelial atypia. So flat epithelial atypia is also upstaged or upgraded into IDC or DCIS. The upgrade percentage is smaller. It's about 15% for FEA or flat epithelial atypia. And it's about 20% upstage of ADH into IDC or DCIS. So regardless of what we get on biopsy, if it's ADH or flat epithelial atypia, both of those, we would recommend excision. You're shown a bilateral mammogram with one breast is entirely fatty. The other breast demonstrate flame-shaped density in the subareolar region and they ask you what to do next. This is a classic question of showing you a male mammogram and the retro or subareolar flame-shaped density is basically gynecomastia. Now there are a few facts that we need to know about gynecomastia. One, it's a common question that they test without telling you that it's a male and they want you to understand that the mammogram is of a male, which is annoying because in clinical scenarios, this is never the case. Gynecomastia, flame-shaped retroareolar density. On ultrasound, we avoid ultrasound in these lesions because they do look suspicious. They look as shadowing hypoechoic mass with irregular or angular margins. So if you were shown that flame-shaped density on ultrasound, you would think you would biopsy that. So that's why we don't typically perform ultrasound for gynecomastia. They can ask you etiologies for gynecomastia, most common ones being cirrhosis and marijuana use. Other that they can ask you about include drugs, antihypertensive or antidepressant drugs, pituitary hormone dysfunction, and hormone-producing tumors are common etiologies for it. So retroareolar mass that is flame-shaped, is consistent with gynecomastia in a male, and no need for biopsy. Continuing our talk about male mammograms, and we said retroareolar mass or flame-shaped nodular density is consistent with gynecomastia. When should you be worried? Typically, if they show you a round mass with obscured margin in a male mammogram, that's when we should worry. And typically on ultrasound, you won't see that 
classic appearance of gynecomastia, which is worrisome if it wasn't a woman. Rather, you see a mass with angular margins and some heterogeneous internal echoes. Typically, the patient age is different. For gynecomastia, it's typically younger patients who are worried about their breast mass or they're wondering what's the reason for their breast density. In male breast cancer, it's someone in their 60s. They might have family history of breast cancer. And the mass is not exactly retroareolar. I mean, it can be. There is no reason that it won't be retroareolar. But classically, it's not a retroareolar because they want to distinguish that from gynecomastia. They ask you to order the steps of tumor genesis from normal breast tissue into IDC. What are the steps that lead to formation of IDC? Well, we talked about it initially in the beginning. We said you have normal breast tissue, an inciting event happened, and those normal tissues converted into flat epithelial atypia, then flat epithelial atypia with 15% upgrade if we were to biopsy, is converted into ADH, which is atypical ductal hyperplasia, which then converts into ductal carcinoma in situ and then into invasive ductal carcinoma. So FEA to ADH to DCIS and finally into IDC. You're shown a mammogram and on the mammogram you see a rope-like density on the breast or on ultrasound you see a avascular hypoechoic structure or tubular structure, and the patient typically complains of pain. What are they trying to get at? So the vascular structure is basically a thrombosed vein or a thrombosed superficial vein, and the diagnosis is Mondor's disease, which is thrombophlebitis of a superficial vein in the breast or chest wall. Again, Mondor disease is thrombophlebitis of superficial vein within the breast or the breast wall. Role of lidocaine with epinephrine and lidocaine alone in stereoguided breast biopsy or breast biopsy in general. The key role for epinephrine is vasoconstrictor properties, and we use it for that advantage. And limitation for applying it is injecting subcutaneously, there is a theoretical risk of causing skin necrosis, so we do not inject it subcutaneously. And the other contraindication more likely to be asked in a question are is diabetic patients. Obviously, diabetes causes uh, atherosclerosis and diminishes the caliber of the blood vessel, so any vasoconstriction can theoretically lead to profound ischemia. So lidocaine with epinephrine used for breast biopsy, not injected subcutaneously, but injected along the deeper biopsy track and not given in diabetic patients. Popcorn calcifications, if you hear that word, what are you thinking of? In mammogram, popcorn calcifications, you've got to think of calcified fibroadenoma. So fibroadenoma go through stages of growth and finally they shrivel up. And when they shrivel up and die, they become, or they have the popcorn calcification appearance. What is the differential for bilateral axillary lymphadenopathy? We think of it of three causes for bilateral axillary lymphadenopathy. One, cancers. So leukemia, lymphoma, or metastasis. Second cause is inflammatory diseases, granulomatous diseases, sarcoidosis. And finally, infection.
can cause bilateral axillary lymphadenopathy. Outside of asking a regular question in mammogram, sometimes we get asked about devices that we see in mammogram, and it's important to recognize these devices. One of the most common devices that we see is implantable loop recorder, and it's basically a recorder for cardiac activity. The way it looks like, it looks like a small AAA battery in the breast. When you hear the term breast within a breast, what is the number one differential in your mind? So breast within a breast, the first thing I think about is fibroadenolipoma. Again, breast within a breast, fibroadenolipoma. Well, what is fibroadenolipoma? It's basically hamartoma. But in the board or questions, they might use some weird terms just to confuse you. Fibroadenolipoma is a hamartoma. That's the same name, and it's a breast within a breast is the term they like to use. The key thing that we need to know that you can get cancer within a hamartoma. So if you see a suspicious mass or calcification within a hamartoma, we need to work them up as they can be breast cancer. Again, hamartoma sometimes is referred to as fibroadenolipoma. Snowstorm appearance on ultrasound. What is that? This is typically either word descriptors telling you that there is a silicon implant rupture or they can show you the ultrasound itself and it is a classic appearance so make sure you google it. Now for silicon implant rupture they might ask you what is the workup or what to do next. The next thing you need to do for silicon implant rupture is a breast MRI. We have to evaluate silicon implant rupture with breast MRI because we have two types of silicon implant rupture. We have intracapsular and extracapsular rupture. With intracapsular rupture, around the silicon implant, the body would form a capsule, and the implant can rupture within that capsule. Or extracapsular rupture, meaning the silicon would leak into the body, and it can leak into the lymph node, so you can get snowstorm appearance within a lymph node in extracapsular uh, silicon implant rupture. For saline implant, you do not have to do anything, meaning you don't have to do workup for it. Typically, when it ruptures, the breast deflates and the saline is absorbed by the body, and there is nothing to do unless the patient is seeking cosmetic surgery. For radiologists, there is nothing for us to do. We just send them to surgery. Chronic complications of silicon implants is typically the capsule retraction around the implant. So the body forms a capsule typically. That capsule, after so many years of having the implant there, can contract and can cause pain or complication from the contraction of that capsule around the silicon implant. If you were to describe popcorn calcifications, how would you describe them? We just talked about popcorn calcification being associated with involuting fibroadenoma, and the way they're described outside of popcorn calcification is coarse calcifications or calcifications that are two or three millimeter in diameter or thickness. What is the frequency of the ultrasound transducer used in breast imaging? Typically, it is at least seven megahertz frequency. Again, seven megahertz frequency is the average transducer frequency for breast imaging, why it's 7, higher frequency meaning higher resolution but lower depth of penetration, 
but we do not need a great depth of penetration. So the ideal frequency for ultrasound probe is between, you know, 7 megahertz frequency. If it's higher than 7 megahertz, let's say 12 megahertz, this is usually more of superficial uh, skin frequency and we will not be able to see enough tissue. And if it's like 3 megahertz, like the curvilinear probe, then it's too deep and we will not have enough resolution to see superficial tissue. What Byrad describes a risk of malignancy that is less than 2%. Again, Byrad descriptor associated with less than 2% chance of developing cancer. This is BIRAD3. There are specific criteria of lesion that qualify for a BIRAD3, and we'll talk about it later. Again, BIRAD3 indicates that there is less than 2% chance of developing cancer. Now, for this question, it doesn't entirely involve mammogram or breast structures, but it's something that we see frequently in mammography or as we're doing ultrasound breast, which are the benign subcutaneous or cutaneous cystic collection that can arise from obstructed hair follicle. And here I'm talking about two types of cysts. I'm talking about epidermal inclusion cyst and sebaceous cyst. Some people like to go into differences between both of them. While it may be important if you're a dermatologist, in general, for radiologists, the differences are not very significant. The key things to know about them is do not touch them, do not try to pop them, and leave them alone. What are their imaging features? Epidermoid inclusion cyst is typically filled with keratin and can have the lamellated or onion skin appearance, and it involves the skin and may have tail communicating with the skin. Do not do anything for them. Again, it's hypoechoic collection with keratin filled, and has the laminated appearance. The sebaceous cyst is also a benign cutaneous or subcutaneous cyst filled with sebaceous secretions. These are because of obstructed sebaceous gland. They can have the claw sign, which is basically skin partially wraps around the edges of the mass and can show as popping within the skin. And on ultrasound, Similar to the epidermoid inclusion cyst, we have the hypoechoic structure. For sebaceous cyst, we can see a track or hypoechoic track extending into the dermal surface, and that's diagnostic for it if we see the, hypo, uh, the hypoechoic track leading to it. Typically, for the sebaceous cyst, because it does not contain keratin, rather it contains sebaceous material, we don't see the onion skin appearance for it. Both of these epidermoid inclusion cyst and sebaceous cyst we leave alone and do not touch as a radiologist. If they want to be tricky on exam they might show you a sebaceous cyst and another case where there it looks like a sebaceous cyst except there is increased flow around it and at that point you're thinking of an abscess and the flow and erythema or tenderness is what distinguishes it from an abscess. Review from a couple of minutes ago, what is the term we said we describe hamartoma with? It's fibroadenolipoma. Again, fibroadenolipoma is a descriptive term for hamartoma. It really says what's the contact. Fibrofibrous tissue, adenolipoma, lipus tissue, basically 
similar structure as the breast, and we said it's commonly said breast within a breast appearance. Fibroadenolipoma. In the first part of this episode, we talked about male breast cancer. Now we'll address two things. What are the common presentation for male breast cancer? Well, we said typically we look for age, so typically they're men in their 60s, and it does not have the flame-shaped appearance on imaging. Additionally, for male breast cancer, axillary lymphadenopathy is more common at presentation because they present at a later disease progression, meaning the disease has progressed by the time they present to us or by the time they get their mammogram. Secondary thing, it's typically associated with BRCA2 mutation. Again, male breast cancer is associated with BRCA2. This is important because it shows up on the exam. and They'll put a list of tumors or uh, genes associated with breast cancer in women, and they will ask you to pick which one is associated with male breast cancer, and we want to pick the BRCA2 mutation. Again, BRCA2 mutation. The way I think of it is the word 2 in BRCA2 means it involves both men and women. What is the differential for malignant nipple discharge? Differential for malignant nipple discharge is basically three tumors, papilloma, papillary carcinoma, and DCIS. It's easy to know papilloma and papillary carcinoma because they're associated with the duct, and DCIS is almost associated with everything in the breast. So papilloma, papillary carcinoma, and DCIS are associated with malignant nipple discharge. What is the positive predictive value for architectural distortion without a mess? Again, positive predictive value for architectural distortion without a mass, and this can easily be asked in questions. The positive predictive value for cancer is 60%. Again, positive predictive value for architectural distortion without a mass is 60%. This is our final question for today. What is MRI appearance of fibroadenoma? Fibroadenoma are benign breast masses typically seen in premenopausal women. And those are the women who get breast MRI because typically they're atypical or younger in presentation. So it's also common to see fibroadenoma in them. So it's important for us to know the imaging features of fibroadenoma, particularly on MRI. What we see, we see homogeneously enhancing mass with dark non-enhancing internal septation. Again, homogeneously enhancing mass with dark non-enhancing septations is a classic MRI appearance of fibroadenoma.